Welcome to Rafa. Glad you've chosen to select this teaching. I think it's going to be very, very informative. And it's uh, going to be a little bit of consternation for you because this teaching on World War III and Armageddon, is a, it has to do with eschatology, which is uh, the end time events. And it may be a hard word for some. So I'm glad that you're here today. And uh, I would encourage you to check out our website, Rafa Ministries World. You'll find many things there of interest. You'll find some things there that are free for for the uh, listening, our Bible Answer Man program, and many other topics of myself and Dr. Violetta. Also, you can check out our YouTube, is Lee West Ministries. You'll find things there of interest also. So glad to have you with us today, and I'm trusting this will be a word for you, and that, that God will use it to show you many contemporary things that are coming to uh, happen, that are starting to happen, bringing forth the word into its culmination. Again, this teaching is on World War III and Armageddon. So I reiterate that it's a teaching on eschatology, which is the end time events. And I consider this teaching the fifth most important message in history up to this point. A creation of the cosmos, of course, was a vital uh, teaching understanding that God has revealed to us more in this last day. The Adam story uh, led us into another facet. The first advent of Jesus Christ, of course, was a turning point in the eons of ages and for world events and the future. And the giving of the Holy Spirit's ministry certainly was a vital turning point also for the world. But I believe that this teaching is going to be the fifth most important one that you will hear for many, many years, maybe. And it may be that very shortly what you hear today will come to fruition. The events in this teaching are precursors. Uh, and I, I cite some events of it that lead me up to this thought because in November 15, the uh, New York Post printed Quote, we are in World War III, end quote. Well, no, we're, we're not there yet, New York Post. Also, the, the world is ignorant and complacent about Christian events. They're just not hearing those from the pulpit. So they're ignorant. Even most Christians are ignorant. I hate to say that, but they don't understand what's going on. And the church is asleep, except for a remnant. And I believe the fact that you're listening to this today is proves that you're part of the remnant that's seeking truth and looking into things that can enlarge you. And I believe in, uh, that you will be profited enlarged by this teaching today. A precursor is after uh, savage attacks in France and Paris, uh, one person there said in Paris, we don't need more prayer. Our faith goes to music, life, champagne, and joy. Paris is about life, and they don't need more prayer. That person who said that is totally ignorant. Second Peter chapter 3 says, where is the promise of his coming? This is a, this is a question that someone is rhetorically asking maybe not in exact verbiage, but in their minds when they hear about end-time events. This is the question that goes through many people's minds. Eh, where is the promise of his coming? 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And this is, this is the mindset of many. Uh, a personal story of my own. I was ministering in a full gospel church, and I made the following statement that since 1948, that's when Israel became a nation again, that uh, the secular and spiritual influence was shifting back to Israel. And as I made that statement in my presentation and in my message, I happened to glance at the pastor of that church, and he kind of rolled his eyes, and you, I could almost hear what was going on in his mind. He was not accepting that, because in that particular facet of the Christian movement, they think that they're in charge of everything, that they, they work hand in glove with God, and that God has to listen to every word they say, and they have, that God is, has to verify everything, every idea that they have. So that's what I felt as I as I watched that minister's reaction about that. In First Thessalonians chapter one, it says, "Ye turn to God from serving idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for His Son from heaven, Jesus, which delivers us from the wrath to come." So there is a remnant who's following the right way. And they are accepting the promise of God that he has promised to deliver us from the wrath to come. And I would add parenthetically, it's going to be a terrible, great wrath in a horrendous way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and, and I pertain this to the U.S. in its present state and period, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, it says this, the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols. The thing which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Now, if you look across the topography in what the U.S. people and citizenry are engaged in doing, you will find that they have many, many gods. There's a lot of religion, but people even who go to church have many, many gods, and sometimes those gods take precedence over the Lord Jesus Christ and the God of the Judeo-Christian faith. You, you can name those things. You see them. You see your people you work with that you, that you play with that you know who are engaged in things, and the things that they engage in is a god to them. They don't think that much on the God of uh, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, A man's heart devises, that means he just simply plans his way, that would be his path. And then he goes on to explain, But the Lord directeth his steps, that means movement and pace at which he goes. In other words, one age or epoch ends, and another begins, and many times they overlap to where it's very difficult to see where the transition point is. And in my judgment, as I look across current events, I see that the U.S. is currently very, very weak in every area. We have had politicians who've done everything that they can in the last 
50 or so years to start weakening this country. They've given in to demands that they should not have done. They've instituted laws that compromise. And in the last, probably the last couple of decades, we've seen this exacerbated that they have done every almost to a plan to make this country weak. The U.S. right in this moment is very vulnerable, and they're vulnerable because they have sent away her sanctification. They, the United States was set aside by God. That means I, I say that they were sanctified by God. They were set aside for a period of time, and they did. we've done wonderful things as a country because we were a, a, a hovering over of Israel, and we maintained that. But because we're drifting from Israel and we're drifting in so many other areas that uh, that compromise God sanctifying this country, and they I think we're sending away. If we haven't totally sent it away, we are fastly sending away our sanctification. Our, the U.S. is currently corrupt and it's weak. It's weak in, in national leadership. It's weak in morals. I don't think, I know I've never seen a time when morals are so terribly weak as they are now. Ethics, you can't find the person. It's difficult. I won't say never, but it's very, very difficult to find people with ethics anymore. The electorate votes what I call the Esau model. They vote for representatives who can give them things. They're, 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 when they cast their vote, it's for, give me something. Give me this. We have a decadent citizenry. We're, we're plagued by lust and drunkenness and drugs and illicit sex, perversions, sodomy on every scale. And, and they're given, even the highest court in the land has given credence to these types of activities. So we have a decadent citizenry. We have an impotent church, and this wounds me probably more than so many other things. The church of Jesus Christ today is impotent, impotent in his pulpit. Fact is, I've said this so many times before. There are many people who stand in the pulpit purporting to be pastors that should never be there because they, they don't pack the spiritual credentials to be a pastor and leader of God's people. We as a country have, have abandoning the Judeo-Christian God. We're seeking after other gods and replacing the Christian God with other gods. The U.S. is under unprecedented satanic and demonic control, and they don't even know it. And there's even in the remnant who is watching and looking and, and praying, there's still a part of that remnant that really doesn't understand satanic and demonic activity and how to, how to combat that. We have removed Jesus from the public square, and that's probably one of the most dangerous things that the country we've done. We've, we've legislated him out of our legal dialogue, you can't go into a store in the public arena and freely uh, proclaim Jesus, even in a casual way. We've legislated him out of uh, out of Christmas, 
where he should be primary, the primary focus of the thing. They've instituted the fact that in many places where you can't even call it Christmas, you have to call it a holiday. And I was in the U.S. post office and they had uh, a couple of three Christmases ago and they had a big box set up to receive Christmas cards. And they said, this is for your holiday card. And I asked to speak with the manager and I, I pointed out to him in, in, the, in the hearing of many other people who were there. I said, this is not a holiday car, holiday box, sir. It's not for holiday cards. It's for Christmas cards. And of course, he did not want to hear that. But I felt that I had to, to take issue with it, and I pray that, uh, that others will be taking that kind of a stand. And when you do, you can expect to take some heat for it. The U.S. is under a national ignorance. Our people can tell you the latest TV program that's been on for months. They can tell you every episode, but they can't tell you what God is doing and what the right way to act is and the proper way and the moral way. They can't describe that. I saw one young man on an interview. This has just been very recently as we're recording this. He did not even know what, what the name Donald Trump, who that was. He, did, he had no concept. And he was in a major city. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure he was in New York City on the streets in New York. A disturbing fact about the national ignorance, on December the 4th of 2015, the, the United States Attorney General said this, and I'm quoting, anyone criticizing Islam can be persecuted for a hate crime. That is despicable. And I pray to God that we get leaders who, who is not that ignorant as they don't understand the dangers of Islam. We hear as a people, but we don't comprehend. We see, but we don't perceive. And as I look across the spectrum of this country currently and have for the last 20, 30 years or so, I see what appears to be contradictions in weather patterns and God trying to tell people things in California, you have uncontrolled fires, as you do in many, many other areas of the country. But it seems like California has has these types of fires every every fall. They have these type of thing. And you can call that natural events if you wish to. But uh, I don't call certain fires in certain places just ha national happenings. There's drought in uh, in the in the many many areas of the country, there's drought and there's floods right next to it in the country. One place will have fire, the other will have overflowing rain, and the next place will have drought, and then they'll have floods. You have extreme heats, heat in certain areas, and then right almost simultaneously in other parts, you're going to have extreme blizzards. And again, we have a national uh, ignorance. We don't see and hear and comprehend these things. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, there's a warning. In the last days, perilous times shall come. And the word perilous there in the Greek just simply means there's gonna, it's going to be fierce times. There's going to be times which are hard to deal with. 
And we're starting to see that now. And I could embed this right into this teaching. We're starting to see the foothills of the mountains, which are coming right now for those who will try to understand. I believe the fifth event, most important in world events, will be the rapture of the church. I believe that that's going to be the next major event will be the rapture of the church. And most pulpits does not teach the rapture. And I believe that even those who do, many of them teach that the rapture of the church is going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. The Bible doesn't teach that. One person that used to teach this who was very renowned, and I respected his credentials, and I respected his opinion in many areas, but I disagreed with him vehemently in this. There's going to come a period before the great wrath of God pours out where God is going to take out his church. And that's exactly what the rapture means. And it's described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says this, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And it goes on to explain that trump of God and what's happening with it what it triggers, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then explains that. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, that means snatched away in the twinkling of an eye, together with them in the cloud. This is the same kind of cloud that was on the mountain of transfiguration. That's an example of it. Caught together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. That's the event that's going to happen. And I believe it's going to happen in before not very much longer. So that's a warning for us today. But if, when this happens, the church is going to be gone. The church will not be here anymore. And when it goes, it has been the restrainer of, e of evil in the world. That's been what's been holding back evil from just going to its fullness has been the church of Jesus Christ. And I would hasten to say this, that the main ones holding it back were those, that remnant who understood and understand how to attack and do battle with the forces of evil in the spiritual arena. arena. For it says in Ephesians, we we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, wickedness, and in spiritual high places, it talks about that. That's spiritual warfare. You know, I've seen that happen. It's been happening uh, in, in the remnant because I've seen the ramifications of it. I've seen its benefits in the last few elections because there, was, there were people who were praying, who knew how to pray and touch God, who knew how to bind and loose uh, enemies and the word of God and we saw what looked like was a, a political direction when another direction beyond description nobody could explain it and they think it was just uh, events just turning around because of a last ditch effort in the by spending more money or somebody saying the right thing no I, I tell you it was because God Almighty answered and the prayers of people who were praying spiritual prayers and when the church is gone, the withdrawer of withholder of evil is going to be canceled out because it'll not be here 
every Christian, true Christian, will be gone. Now, I can insert here, the churches will go on, not the churches, but the, the buildings will continue to have services, and they'll be, they'll be full of people because the rapture of the church is going to cause a, an international consternation, and there will be people standing there who've been preaching some, for, for a long time. They didn't make the rapture because they were not saved. And when the church is raptured, total evil will begin to proliferate. We think we have bad times now. We think we have evil now. We, as we listen to our news and watch our news, we, we see horrendous crimes against man against man. We see uh, decadence in its, in its fruition, we think, but we haven't seen anything yet. And the rapture of the church triggers the events that lead up to World War III. That's what triggers it is the rapture of the church will be the leading event that starts the World War III events to take place. In Revelation chapter 4, it says, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. The first voice I heard said, come up hither. I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And in Revelation 6, it says, I saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow. This is the time that the Antichrist is going to come for him to be produced, to come to, to the forefront. It says, and a crown, a symbol of royalty, of honor, was given him. And then it goes on to explain that. And he went forth to conquer, that means to subdue, and to conquer, subdue, the same word. He went forth conquering and to conquer. This is the rise of the Antichrist. He begins his work. He starts to rise in his prominence. And I would say at the same time this is happening, Russia begins to form its coalition. Because in Ezekiel 38, verse 7, it says, it's speaking about uh, this coalition, it says, Be thou prepared. And prepare, that means uh, set up, and prepare for thyself, means establish, thou and thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard, a hedge, that means hedge in the Greek, a protection unto them. So Russia understands for them to make a move against Israel as they start to form their coalition in the back of their mind, they understand that if they start moving, which is going to be their, their impetus, their move against Israel as they form their coalition, that the United States must be neutralized. They, they can't attack Israel because if they do, certainly the United States would retaliate before they ever really get to that, to the point. So they know that the United States must be neutralized. Keeping that in mind, I heard a story some years ago from another minister, and it really struck me. It had to do with George Washington's vision at Valley Forge in 1777 when he was in one of his darkest hours in the winter there. 
And I might add that it, it's understood that every politician in Washington knows this vision of George Washington. They, you never hear them talk about it. And maybe it's in the back of their mind, but they're so tied up with other things that they, they can't pay much attention to it or elect not to do that. But this is the George Washington's vision that he had. And the story goes that he was in his tent, and he had left word with his century, uh, century that he was not to be disturbed. And he was in deep prayer and, and contemplation, and suddenly he became aware that there was a figure like a woman that was standing close to him. And it, it made him angry for a second because he had left orders for not to be disturbed. And then he started to perceive that this was a special happening. And this, this figure, this uh, woman-type figure, began to speak. And she says, son of the republic, look and learn. I'm going to condense the story a little bit. She goes on to tell Washington, three clouds shall come from the east over the sea. The first cloud, says, she says, will come and then be rolled back. And, of course, the indication in this is that this first cloud is the war of independence that the United States was fighting at that particular time that Washington was engaged in the perpetrating. She said the second cloud divides the people, but there's a healing and a unity that's restored out of it. This would be indicative of the Civil War, which split the country, but out of that came a union. And then she said there's a third cloud that's going to bring, and this third cloud will bring devastation, and there will be partial healing. The parables that concern this type of teaching about the Russian coalition being formed and the teachings that go on about it, we find evidence for this in Ezekiel chapter 4, where God himself is prophesying about this, and he says, I'm against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, I will turn thee back and all thy army. And he goes on to explain that Gog, now Gog was the grandson of Noah, and they settled in uh, the area of Russia. Magog was Noah's grandson, and he was known for his fierce, uh, for being a fierce warrior. Meshech is the old name for Moscow. And Tubal is the old name for Tobolsk. So that kind of gives you where God is saying, I'm against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. I will turn thee back. And Ezekiel 38, verses 5 through 7, uh, goes on to address this. In Ezekiel chapter 38, I'm going to read verses 5 through 7 because it has some additional information about the nations which are going to be involved in this. And I'm reading from Ezekiel 38, verses 5 through 7. And it talks about the coalition. It says, this coalition will be Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, with them all, with shields and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togomar, 
of the North Quarter and all these bands and many people with thee. Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled with thee, and be they a guard, a guard unto them. So these are the, this is the coalition that's going to have to take place. And it says that Persia, and of course we, uh, we understand uh, what the old Persia was, but this is going to be uh, the Persia, which will include Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Iran. And of course, those are current event places even today. And he goes on to say Ethiopia. Th this, is, this is the old country of Cush. Ethiopia, which is the southeast part of the Arabian Peninsula, Somalia, and Sudan. Libya, which is the old country of Put. Libya, and which is the area southeast of Egypt. Gomer and the house of Togomar. This is the four sons of Japheth, the third son of Noah, and they settled the area of Turkey, Ukraine, Crimea, and the area northwest of the Black Sea. All of these are in current events now. We're seeing these things talked about and, and starting to jail uh, in current events. And it says, and many people with thee. This would be uh, Saudi Arabia, part of Saudi Arabia, and Moab, which is southeast of Israel. Daniel also says in, in cha Daniel chapter 11, verse 5, and the kings of the north, they're going to be part of this, which is uh, Syria and Egypt, the north and the south, Syria and Egypt. In Ezekiel 38, verse 9, it says, thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. And in verse 10 and 12 says, and at the same time, Thou shalt think, let, let me rephrase that. Let me go back and pick that up. At the same time shall thoughts arise and come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil, which is, means noisome, in other words, to make good for nothing, thought. Go up to the land of unwalled village to them that are at rest, that dwell safely. With wall, without walls, neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil, that means a plunder, to take a prey, that means a booty, uh, spoils of war, something taken by force. A people gathered out of the nations, having cattle and goods. That's just simply in the, in the old uh, terms. Cattle and goods were just indicative of prosperity and, and possessions that dwell in the midst of the land. Now, this one might be a little strange to you, but it has to really to do with authority, dwelling in the midst of the land. What country dwells in the midst of the lands? It's the United States. The fact is we have the uh, United Nations here that represents the nations of the world. So what am I saying? I'm saying that the Russian coalition will execute a surprise preemptive nuclear attack against the United States. Now, the indication is that the United States will survive this to a point, but it will be reduced to a substandard country. I pointed out as a preface when we started this message that that would be some provocative uh, indications in this that might be difficult to, to receive. 
we, we, we don't think in terms that this country can be undone, but it's not going to stand forever in one form or the other. And it seems that this is the way events are going to be starting to play out. And this, as Russia moves south with the United States uh, neutralized and our allies just looking on, those who are in, in allies with us now, they're not going to join into it. They're just going to look on as the United States is neutralized. And this will be the beginning of World War III. With the United States neutralized, this Russian coalition will continue to move on Israel and in Ezekiel 38. And this is God himself proclaiming, it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, that fury, that means wrath, shall come up in my face. That just means it's going to show in his face. It's going to get red like somebody, a passion. You know how somebody's face gets when they get red with anger and passion. God says, it's, my anger's going to come up in my face. And it says, there'll be a great shaking in the land, great vibrations, mountains thrown down, steep places fall, Every wall shall fall to the ground. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. Overflowing rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. This sounds like nuclear war. It's going to be, there's going to be nuclear war in the Middle East. And you thought brimstone there just simply means something that's inflammable. It talks about in other places that there'll be hailstones that are upwards to 120 pounds. We've seen those kind of things before. When I was young and after World War II, they were doing atomic testing in the Bikini Atoll. And when they exploded the bomb, they, uh, they found dents in the hulls of the great ships and they couldn't explain it. And then they realized these were big hailstones that had fallen, making dents in those metal decks. Israel is going to be using atomic weaponry against this Russian coalition. They, they, they've said, they're, you know, never again, and they mean it. They'll do whatever it takes to, to stop this horde from coming. Ezekiel 39 says, uh, and this is God speaking, I will turn thee back and leave but a sixth part of thee. And verse 12 says, Seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them that they may cleanse the land. Now what they're going to be cleansing the land from is nuclear radiation contamination. And it talks about in Ezekiel 39, uh, 14, it says, They shall sever, means set apart men, of continual employment, when they shall find a man's bone, they're going to send up, set up a marker. I believe these are people who are going to go through the land looking for radiation, and when they find uh, bones or areas that's radiated, they're going to put up a marker saying you need to cleanse this area. I think that's just, I think this is very indicative of what's going to happen. I know it's difficult to hear this. At the same time Russia is doing this, and that's happening to Russia, the Antichrist will be building his forces. But uh, his forces 
they come. They cause famine and death. Some have said he's going to be the builder of peace. No, he's not. He's going to do, he's just trying to build on force what uh, he, he plans to do. He, he just won't be quite as fierce about it, but he his, his coming forth, he's going to be doing it with, with weaponry and with force, and it's going to cause famine and death. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, it talks about uh, power. That means authority was given unto them, his coalition that he's going to be building over the fourth part of the earth. And it talks about uh, this will be the battle area that's given to them. And in Revelation 17, it talks about 10 kings which have received power or authority with the beast. That means a, a system, world system that's been building since uh, the eons of time. With the beast as kings, one hour. They've been given that with him for one hour. The uh, first three and a half years of the Antichrist agreement with Israel, he makes a seven-year agreement with them, and they think it's wonderful. They start out thinking it's wonderful. And the first three and a half years of that uh, is, is, is really not all bad, that for them. And then the first three and a half years end, and the last three and a half years begin, which is called the Great Tribulation. And this is nuclear war being happened by the uh, happening by the Antichrist forces. One third of the trees and grass is are killed, and then at the same time, it's talking about one third of the mountains fall, the sea becomes blood, creatures and uh, die in in wholesale groups. Ships are destroyed on the sea, and I believe that would be the the eastern part of the Mediterranean and other uh, bodies of water because they can be called seas. And then it's talking about, then it goes on, uh, torch-like objects fall on one-third of the waters. I believe this will be fallouts as maybe smaller nuclear weapons. And then goes on to say and more things are happening. One-third of the sky becomes dark. I believe this is just simply... Uh, fallout dust because when one of these bombs goes off uh, you see dust clouds and dirty by, by dirty I mean radiation dirt clouds rise up thousands of feet and then it says one third of mankind that will be the battle area one third of mankind they're killed Revers Revelation 16 talks about this the great river Euphrates was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So the kings of the east are going to come. And in Revelation 9, it talks about this force that they number 200,000,000. That's 2 million men. So Israel now finds itself in a terrible, terrible state. All of their friends are gone. They stand alone with no hope. They don't know how they're going to survive. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus brings this thought into further description. He says, then shall be great tribulation. That'll be the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. And he says, except these days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. And he elaborates on that. He says, 
but for the elect's sake, that means the chosen one, these days shall be shortened. In Revelation chapter 19, it talks about this. God pulls back the veil and lets us see. I saw heaven open, a white horse, and this is the one in righteousness does he judge as he comes forth and makes war. His name is called the Word of God, and out of his mouth went forth a two-edged sword. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Now, they're not going to make war against God. They're going to make war against the influence of God. They don't understand it, but that's who they're making war against. Verse 20, and the beast was taken and the false prophet were cast alive in, into the lake burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain, the remnant of their army, were slain with the sword of him that sat on the, the horse, which proceeded out of his mouth. He's going to speak his word, and they're going to be slain. Revelation 20 says this, I saw an angel come down from heaven. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit. Goes on to say in Revelation 20, I saw thrones. Judgment was given to them. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Verse 6 of Revelation 20, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. As I teach this message, which is eschatology, it's based on eschatology in Tom events. It's really hard, I understand, for the 21st century mind to grasp it and to deal with it. We kind of tend to think that time will go on day after day after day, and we just deal with making enough money to feed our family and to build a retirement and to take care of incidentals and to enjoy as much as we can in the horrendous effort. But I tell you, perilous times are coming. Those who think that we just go on forever, they're going to be in for a surprise. And I believe these things are going to transpire in our lifetime. I would say even soon. Because as I look at the current events, I can superimpose these those over the Bible and I, uh, what we've looked at in this teaching. And I think you can see that they superimpose perfectly. If you watch your TV news, then you can see these things happening. The end of the beginning is near. We're coming to that time in history when God is going to take his church and horrendous things are going to happen. But let me leave you with a thought of hope. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, 1 Thessalonians 4, 18 says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We've spoken hard things to be perceived and to grasp, but we have to face these. Maybe you've not heard this before out of your pulpit. 
I pray that your preacher is teaching this. I pray that you have a, a godly called preacher and minister and pastor. But I warn you, if your pastor's not preaching the word, if they're giving you a sermonette, if they're just giving you some little encouraging, you're okay, I'm okay, everything's going to be, be good, you better start looking for another church that's preaching the truth. Thank you for tuning in to this and to going to our website and pulling up this teaching and obtaining it. I pray that it will be a blessing for you and encouragement and enlargement. It's going to teach you some things to look into. Go to our website and again and look at some of the things we're offering. And I pray that there will be a blessing to you. Until you, we meet again on one of our additional teachings or in seminars of either mine or Dr. Violetta's. And we're open for those kind of things if you would like to invite us. May the Lord just richly bless your life.